All right, good morning, New Heights, and everybody who is watching online, I want to welcome you back to our study in the letter of Philippians. My entire outline is on the YouVersion Bible app if you want to follow along there, and I'm going to begin this morning with a little bit of review of where we are in the series. So we're near the end of chapter two, and over the weeks of this study, we've been looking at how to live out the first command that's actually given to us in this letter. It's all the way back in chapter 1, verse 27, and it can be best translated as live as citizens of the gospel of the king. And that's really what Philippians is all about. And this was a big deal. Think about this. Hearing from God, live as citizens of the gospel of the king, even as you live as a citizen in the Roman Empire, or for us today, even as we live as citizens in this world. And then in chapter two, Paul lays out a vision of a church that is doing exactly that. They're living out the gospel, specifically with humility and unity, with Jesus our King as our ultimate example, becoming like him, his apprentices, following his example. And somebody might hear me say that, and and you might be thinking, okay, Kevin, that sounds great in theory, but that's really tough to do in practice. And to that, the New Testament resoundingly responds that although it's not easy and it's costly, It's not impossible. God provides supernatural resources for us to live out his ways here on planet Earth and to prove that it is possible, not just in theory, but in practice. Paul presents in this part of the letter three human examples, himself, Timothy, and a guy named Epaphroditus. And in in the part of the text that Jim covered last week, Paul briefly mentions his own example. Let's do a little review and, and look at it. Philippians chapter two, verse 17. It says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So Paul is using a potent image here, literally being poured out. This was technical language that was used in the ancient world to talk about forms of worship and sacrifice. And he's saying that my life, it's being poured out for your sakes, Jesus is following, I'm sorry, Paul is following Jesus, his master's example, Jesus whose life was poured out for us. And so Paul is demonstrating that he's not looking out for his own interests, but for the interests of others. He's living out Philippians chapter two, verse four. So that's a little bit of the background, a little bit of the context. Now we're gonna look at the next two human examples that Paul lifts up. So let's read my assigned text. If you're not already there, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter two. And we're gonna start in verse 19 and I'm gonna go all the way to verse 30. So hang with me as we look at this. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when, you receive, when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things are gonna go for me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. 
but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and he was distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him, again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. All right, there it is. So at first glance, this is a travel log, right? I mean, this is like plane tickets, hotel reservations, budget, rent a car, confirmation numbers, right? It's, it's an itinerary. Paul is in prison in Rome. And, and the way that the Roman prison system worked is that the warden did not provide you with food and water and clothing. You were really at the mercy of family and friends. So the Philippians, they're hundreds of miles away and they hear that Paul is in serious need. So they take up a special offering and they decide to send it with a guy named Epaphroditus, who was probably an elder in the church in Philippi. So so Epaphroditus uh, uh, starts to travel, uh, and, uh, but he gets sick along the way, and the text says he almost dies. But he makes it to Rome, and Paul is saved. But now Paul's got a problem, because the Philippians are in the dark. I mean, they don't really know, like, did Epaphroditus make it? Is Paul still alive? And remember that the only way to communicate in the ancient world was in person. And, and so Paul has anxiety about this and he wants the Philippians to know how things are going so he can't go tell them he's in prison. He can't send Timothy because Timothy is needed right there where Paul is. So they decide to send Epaphroditus back 800 miles from Rome to Philippi. And that's our text. On the surface, it looks like a glorified itinerary, right? But underneath the surface, there is so much going on here because we've got to remember that Philippians is a letter that is written in context. And so as we read this section of the letter, the context of it is, is that, that, that summarized theme that we talked about uh, just a minute ago, chapter one, verse 27, live as citizens of the gospel of the king. So Paul, now what he's gonna do is he doubles down on this message and gives us two more examples in Timothy and in Epaphroditus, who the Philippians, they knew really well. Paul's putting them up as examples of how to live out the gospel of the king in day-to-day life. And you guys, we need examples, don't we? I think about the power of examples in my own life. I think about my dad, who taught me how to love people and how to love and trust God. I think about my mentor, Hal, who taught me about the wilderness and biblical manhood and spiritual warfare. I think about my mentor, Steve. He taught me about grace and humility and leadership and communication. Like I have all sorts of people in my life that I wanna be like. Like I wanna copy them and I wanna, I wanna be like that. And, and Paul gets this. Because how to live as citizens of the gospel of the king is fuzzy in a culture where deconstruction is rampant and the foundations are being shaken, Right? It's one thing to say, live out the gospel. It's another thing to say, you see Timothy, follow him. You see Epaphroditus, 
Be like him, copy that. You see, Linda, live like her. It's a whole nother thing to put flesh and blood on theology, amen? So all that said, I'm gonna go through here again, just line by line through the verses, and we're gonna talk about Timothy first, and then Epaphroditus unpacking these two examples given to us in these guys' lives. So Timothy first. So if you're new to the Bible, Timothy is a major character in the New Testament. Two letters of the New Testament are written to him. You might go, which ones? Well, first and second Timothy, right? So way before Philippians, uh, Paul was traveling through Asia Minor and he comes to a city called Lystra. And he, he finds this young man named Timothy. Timothy's mom and grandma were Christians. His father was a pagan. And Timothy, I'm sorry, Paul decides to adopt Timothy, kind of like his son. And then Timothy goes on the road with Paul literally follows him all over the Roman Empire and ultimately becomes Paul's like right-hand guy. And, and we get insight into the spiritual quality of Timothy in verse 20. Let's look at it. Paul says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. And I love that word genuine. I mean, authenticity is something that I highly value. And, and Timothy, is, it says that he has genuine concern for your welfare, not for himself, not for his own agenda. And then Paul goes on to say this in verse 21, for everyone looks out for their own interests and not those of Jesus the King. And, and as it was then, it is today, right? Like people are self-centered and narcissistic, especially in America, am I right? It's like, I'm the center of the universe, me first, my success, my agenda. That's what it's all about. I'm looking out for number one. But Timothy is different. Here, Paul is putting flesh and blood on what he said back in Philippians 2, verse four, saying, not looking out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. So he's holding up Timothy as an example of somebody who's actually living this out. He's not narcissistic. He is others-centered. And this is tied to Paul's understanding of humility. Timothy Keller, in his powerful little book that Jim promoted a few weeks ago, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, he says it this way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not self-absorption, but it's thinking about the needs and the desires of others, and especially about God's desires, about God's interests, the fulfillment of his heart. And, and I have friends in this church that I could say this about. I could say, she cares deeply about people, or he cares deeply about the heart of God and the interests of Jesus. And the question that I think we all need to wrestle with is, could this be said about me? And I want this to be true in my life. I want this to be genuine. Uh, let, me, let me get just a little bit vulnerable here, if, if I could, about my own journey and spiritual formation. See, I, I come from a long line of narcissists, all right? And for, for a lot of my life, I'll be honest, I just really thought mostly about myself 
and my happiness and my agenda. But by God's grace, I'm changing. Slowly and surely as the Holy Spirit works on my heart, I'm being formed into a person who is others-centered, who is God-centered. And the Spirit has used all sorts of things to form me and shape me. Like those flesh and blood examples that I mentioned just a few minutes ago, he's used, he's used those people in my life. And also, um, he's used something that I'm gonna talk about here in just a few minutes. He's used suffering and hardship. But, but one thing that he used early on uh, that actually, it was the story that Jim shared a few weeks ago. I don't know if you got to hear that message where Jim talked about the Moravians, this group of people who lived hundreds of years ago. And I remember hearing this story about the Moravians as a, as a young Christian. I was deep in the mountains of Southern Mexico. I was working with a team trying to reach the descendants of the Aztecs with the gospel. And I heard this story. About, about these two young men, these Moravians, who literally sold themselves into slavery so that they could reach the West Indies with the gospel. And, and I remember it was what they said, what they shouted as they were on the ship, these two young men that was sailing away and their, their, their family and their friends are on the dock and they're never gonna see these guys again. And one of the young men, he puts his arm around the other and he shouts, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. And the Holy Spirit took those words and wrecked me. And over the years, worked those words down deep into my soul, literally producing a desire in me deeply to see Jesus receive the reward of his sufferings, to start to live for the fulfillment of his heart. And that desire is what keeps moving me towards people. Because I know this, one thing for sure, that as I serve and minister to people, I am ministering and serving my Lord. And that's why I go to the nations, because Jesus is worthy to be known. It's about the fulfillment of his heart. It's why I pastor, because Jesus is worthy of a mature, healthy, beautiful bride, his church, amen? I want to be about the fulfillment of his heart, about the interests of Jesus Christ. And God wants this to be true of every one of us. But this type of character formation that we see in Paul and in Timothy and in countless others in history, I mean, I could, there's a long list. I could talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Mother Teresa, Jim Elliott, the list goes on and on. That type of character formation doesn't come cheap. Let's keep reading here. Verse 22 says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. And I want to look at that word proved. It's an important word. The original meaning of this phrase speaks to proven character, which comes, by the way, through suffering and hardship. And Paul uses the exact same word in the Greek in his letter to the Romans. Let's look at it. Romans chapter five, verses three and four. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because you know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character. There's that word. It's the same word uh, used for Timothy and character, hope. So for those of you who are suffering right now, you're going through hardship. Maybe it's in your marriage or it's in your body or it's in your parenting, or you're going through hardship in your job, 
or the lack of a job, whatever. If you hold steady to King Jesus in that persevering, it has the potential to create and cultivate in you proven character that money can't buy. To to produce in you things that you can't learn in a podcast, right? You can only learn it through the hard knocks of life. And, And you can grow an empathy and an ability to come alongside other people and walk with them because you've been through stuff yourself. You know what I'm talking about. And Timothy has this. He's been shoulder to shoulder with Paul in prison, mistreatment, and the hardships of being on the road for the sake of the gospel. And he has proven character as a result. And we're gonna need this type of character, amen? Now and in the coming years where it becomes increasingly difficult to hold on to Jesus and the word of God in our culture, right? Now, before we move on to our next example, Epaphroditus, I wanna zoom out for just a couple of minutes and I wanna look at a specific application from Paul and Timothy's example, because one of the metaphors that Paul uses to describe Timothy is the word son. Let's look at it again, verse 22. It says, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Now there's a whole lot more going on here in this verse than, oh, well, Timothy was like a son to me. There's more going on. Because in the ancient world and in a good chunk of the world today, the son would follow the father into the family business. This was how you learned a trade. This was how you were apprenticed. And this is the type of language that Paul is using here. Timothy was like a son working shoulder to shoulder by my side. He learned through copying. He's learned through imitation. And that's how we learn as humans, isn't it? I mean, this is parenting, right? (laughs) For better or for worse, our kids watch and they copy, right? (laughs) Kind of scary thought. I've heard it said actually that parenting is when you get to watch your faults walk around on two legs. (laughs) Sheesh, right? Um, So Paul understands that the church needs to be marked by the younger generation learning from the older generation. And one of my mentors that I mentioned earlier, he drilled this into me. He said, Kevin, be a spiritual father for those who are younger. Live an inspiring life. Call people up. Pass on what you have. Let others see your example. Let many sons in the faith be able to say, I saw the heart of God through Kevin Rusak. And so fill in your name there. Let this be said of you. I saw the heart of God through her, through him. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Let me just look at it here. It says, And the things that you've heard in me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be able to qualify to teach others. So this is the idea. One generation passing on to the other what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus. And not just teaching doctrine, as important as that is, but being shoulder to shoulder. This is apprenticeship. Apprenticeship is something that we don't really understand a lot these days. But for example, if I wanted to be an apprentice, let's say to a car mechanic, right? Would the mechanic, the master mechanic, just hand me a book on on motors and say, read this, and then we're done? I mean, he might start there with some information and some knowledge, but there'd be so much more going on. He would get under the hood. 
And he'd say, okay, watch this. And he'd, he'd start moving stuff around and start, you know, I don't, I'm not mechanical, so I don't even know what I'm talking about here, right? He, he's, he's doing something under there. And then, and then he's going to say, okay, Kevin, get under here with me. Now you put your hands here and you do this and you turn this, and, right? And, and if I'm a good apprentice, then I'm learning how to do it. And then if I'm a successful apprentice, I can do it and I can teach others to do it also. And there are a couple other verses I just want to highlight in the New Testament that really spell this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he will remind you of my way of life. Paul had a way of life, not just a teaching. Uh, He had a way of life in Christ Jesus, it says, with agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul preached what he practiced. Also, let me highlight Titus chapter two, verses three and four. It says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children. So, Every man, every woman has a calling from God to teach what is good. Amen? All of us do. Now, what's an older woman in this verse? I'm not going to go into that, okay? (laughs) But seriously, you would do well to find a Paul in your life, to find a mother or father in the faith who's farther down the road than you are with experience And if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, this falls on your shoulders to give away what you have. Even if it feels small, people are hungry for the experience that you have. And and please hear this, you don't have to be perfect. (laughs) Just honest, amen? Just honest. My mentors, they shared with me their failures as well as their victories. I mean, the good, the bad, the ugly, I got to hear it all. I got to hear about them falling sometimes towards Jesus, and it inspired me, and it still does. So now let me circle back and talk about Epaphroditus. And I know his name kind of sounds like a skin disease, doesn't it? But he's another example of kingdom living that Paul holds up. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses about him. First, let's read verse 29 of Philippians 2. It says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. I just want to highlight that word honor. I love it. This is the only command actually given in this whole section of scripture. And, and the Spirit of God, I want you to think about this, is breathing out through Paul the, the exhortation to honor the Pauls and Timothys and Epaphroditus's in your life. People who have formed you, people who have invested in you and shaped you, honor them, thank them. Seriously, like this week, text them. Call those people who have invested in your life and say thank you. We're called to honor. And I just want to take a second here and I want to honor a specific individual that's been a part of the New Heights family for a long time. And faithfully, he served and invested in my youngest son Carson's life in our children's ministry. This is, this is a picture of Abdul up here uh, in the right corner here. And Abdul, that's my son Carson in the back right there. I think he was in second grade there. Um, 
Abdul started with my son's class here at New Heights in the children's ministry in kindergarten and then followed these boys all the way up through fifth grade. He was with them for five and a half years. And I just want to honor people like this. And I just want to honor those who faithfully serve and invest in our kids and our children's ministry. We need you. We need more Abduls in our church family. Amen? And so this is a really practical way for you to put into practice even what I'm talking about this morning, to serve and be involved in our children's ministry. All right, let's zoom out for a minute and look at now Epaphroditus, because what Paul does to talk about this guy is he gives five metaphors to describe him in verse 25. And so let's look at at that verse. Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So we're going to look at each metaphor and we're going to make application as we go. First off, let's talk about brother. Paul's favorite way to describe the church is as a family. Brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, we are family. Like Sister Sledge got that right back in the early 80s. Some of you caught that, okay? Um, the church isn't a building, amen? We get that. We're meeting in a gym. Be great, right? So, so we know that the church isn't a building and it's not a business, We're a family. And not just any old family, we are Abraham's family. We are the family of God that's called to extend the blessing of Jesus our King to the corners of the earth. And this happens when you and I function not as a crowd of spectators, but as mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters in relationship. And that's messy at times, isn't it? It's difficult to be a part of a body But this is what we are called to. This is the the hope of the world is the church. And it's messy. I think about, you know, my own family and my extended family. I mean, I'm like, whoo, right? But I sacrifice for them. I forgive them. I love them because we're family, right? So as the church, we can't be family if we're just a podcast-only culture. And so that's why I'm glad that we're coming back to get back together in proximity with each other, gathering around the Lord's table and being together. We need to be together because we're family. All right, the next metaphor that Paul uses is co-worker. And I love that. For Paul, the gospel of the king is work. It's hard labor. It's joy-filled But at times, it's also blood, sweat, and tears. It's labor. And Paul understands this, that we co-labor with God. That really our calling is to find out what God is already doing and join him in it. Amen? And and so I want to ask you the question this morning, do you see yourself as a worker, as a laborer in the kingdom of God? Can you say, I work for Walmart and the kingdom of God? I work for J.B. Hunt and the kingdom of God. I work for the U of A or as a mom or as a student and for the kingdom of God. And do you see yourself as a worker in this family, in this body, or just as a casual observer? Do you see yourself as a worker? The next metaphor that Paul uses is soldier. And so the picture here for Paul is of two soldiers, like shoulder to shoulder. This actually was uh, the way that the Romans fought, and it was a key to their military success. So for Paul, the gospel is war. It's a fight. It's a struggle. 
In one spot, Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, our fight, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers and, and authorities and powers of darkness, meaning our struggle is not a violent struggle against humans, but it's resisting and pushing back spiritual beings that are at war with the creator of the universe. And that's why it's hard, right? Because we have a cosmic enemy, Satan, and his cohort of nasty beings. And so you and I, we fight every day. I mean, I went to bed last night on a battlefield. I woke up this morning on a battlefield. It's the reality that we live in. And I like to think about my grandparents' generation. You know, they lived through the the world wars of the 20th century, and it was said of them that they had what's called a wartime mentality. It means like this, like we save and we sacrifice and we work hard for the greater cause. Winston Churchill really expressed this powerfully when he said these words. This is no time for ease and comfort. It's time to dare and endure. That sounds applicable here and now, doesn't it? And and I also love the lines that Paul writes in his second letter of exhortation to his fellow soldier, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted in him. So I I like to think about this. um, So I was in the military. I was active duty Air Force. And my identical twin brother is still active duty Army. He's a lieutenant colonel chaplain. My father, my grandfathers, they served. And so I understand what it means to be under authority, to follow orders, to be focused, to push myself to the limits, to be stretched, to train. I I get all that. And Paul is saying of himself and of Timothy and of Epaphroditus, he's saying this is their reality. And let me ask, is it yours? Do you understand that you're in a cosmic struggle? And that your first and highest calling and duty in the words of Jesus is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his rule, his reign, his desires, the mission of the king. They're your highest priority. Do you understand that? And do you battle in prayer, saying no to the enemy's schemes in people's lives, praying for people to be rescued from the dominion of darkness? Are you a soldier? The next metaphor is messenger. And and Paul says that that Epaphroditus is a messenger of good news and care. And that word messenger can be translated as one who's sent on a mission. And that word's true of every one of us. Some of us were, were sent on a mission to the other side of the world, whether it's Africa or Indonesia. But most of us, we are sent by the Spirit every day to places like J.B. Hunt and Starbucks, the U of A, and to our kids. We're sent by God as a messenger, our words and our actions declaring that King Jesus rules and reigns over our life. Every one of us is a messenger, and we have a message of life in a dying society. Amen? The last one is minister. This was a word that was used by Paul in Paul's day to talk about public office, and it's still used that way today, like, you know, the minister of transportation, the minister of commerce. 
But minister was also used to describe priests. In the ancient world, it meant a servant with authority. And so you need to understand that you are a priest. The New Testament calls every single one of us a priest. And a priest isn't just somebody with a collar and a robe, right? It's somebody who's been made right by the work of the great high priest, Jesus. And because of that, now you represent God to your family, to your neighborhood, to your friends, to your coworkers. It's kind of like this. If you want to know about God, go talk to Jim, talk to Susie, talk to Bob. And we also stand before God on behalf of our families and neighbors and loved ones. We stand before God in prayer. Like God, I just pray that your kingdom come and your will be done in Emma and Vance and Chris's life, etc. And so high schoolers, I want you to understand this, that you are the priest of your class. When you go to school, you're way more than a freshman or a high schooler. I'm sorry, you know, a freshman. (laughs) You're a priest, literally representing Jesus to people and lifting up them in prayer to him. You're a minister. We all are full-time, 24-7. We're servants in the kingdom. Whether you work for a church like me or you work selling houses or selling cups of coffee, whatever, wherever you find yourself, day in, day out, you're called full-time there to represent Jesus, being a touch point of heaven to earth in that place, amen? And the church will thrive, and the church here, our church, and also worldwide will thrive when we all see ourselves called to live as citizens of the gospel of the King. Isn't it fun, you guys, that we can see our own lives in a 2,000-year itinerary? (laughs) I mean, that's the living, inspired word of God. And I want to just close just with some words of honor for for this congregation, for New Heights. And I just want to say thank you, New Heights, for being a church that helps the Pauls of our community and our world. We send, we give, we pray, we care. So thank you for being a part of that. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, I just want to thank you for giving us examples of how to live day to day as citizens of the gospel of the King. Change our hearts by your spirit to become others-centered and help us to live for the fulfillment of your heart. Help us to pass on what you've given us to the coming generations and help us to follow the examples that were held up for us today. We ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus, our King. Amen.